Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg. And before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month. And whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com slash go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erica.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside. We heard from couples, they had to use 20 different apps and products and services to plan one wedding day. And it shouldn't have to be that hard. This idea that you could create a registry and also a wedding that really reflects who you are and what you and your partner are passionate about. That was something that we felt very motivated to solve. Building a great product is continuing to listen to the evolving needs and you know the world is moving so fast. Today we're talking to Shanlin Ma, co-founder and CEO of Zola, which helps with the wedding planning experience. In this episode, Shanlin discusses the beginnings of Zola and how it became a million-dollar business. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Shanlin Ma. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Webull for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between six to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between six to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com slash invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash invest. One of the things I love about entrepreneurship is entrepreneurs at the core are finding a solution to a problem. So I want to start by asking you, when you and your co-founders started Zola, what was the problem that you saw or that you experienced firsthand that you wanted to find a solution for? Well, the year we started Zola, that was the year for me that all my friends were getting married at exactly the same time. I don't know if you've had this year. I think many of us have it where every weekend you're going to someone else's wedding, flying across the country. And 
it turns out it's a very expensive year. It's a lot of stress both for the guests and the couples and I had to buy a lot of wedding gifts and I found that buying a wedding gift from my friend's wedding registries was one of the worst e-commerce shopping experiences I had ever seen. My co-founder Nobu, he was already married and so he was complaining from the couple's perspective, wedding planning is just as painful and you know, we had both been thinking about starting something together. We had both been working in internet businesses and we thought, aha, this is an interesting opportunity. This is something that is broken from both the couple and the guest side. And we are the right people to fix it and make it just a fundamentally better experience for everyone involved. And and so that's how we started Zola. And what was the process from when you first had that idea and that realization that this is the problem to raising capital and actually launching a product that people could use? Well, the first step was we talked to a lot of couples who were newly engaged, planning their weddings, as well as couples who had recently just gotten married. And so a lot of them you know, were friends of ours or friends of friends. And we asked them, what did you think about your wedding planning? What parts did you enjoy, not enjoy? What would you have loved to do that you couldn't do? And we just found very consistent pain points coming up again and again. For the wedding registry specifically, everyone we talked to said they wish they could have registered both for products like the KitchenAid mixer and the Vitamix, as well as experiences like you know, an Airbnb stay together or wine tasting as well as cash. You know, people were interested in honeymoon funds and yet there was nowhere else that you could do that all in one place. I think we heard from couples, they had to use 20 different apps and products and services to plan one wedding day. And it shouldn't have to be that hard. It should just be in one place where you can go back to that same place every single day of your wedding planning journey to, you know, have everything you need in an easy, accessible app on your phone. What was the minimum viable product or the MVP for Zola when you first launched? It was really the idea of creating a much better wedding registry. We started with the registry because first it was a shopping experience, an e-commerce experience, and that was where our work background was. So we had worked in creating delightful shopping experiences for so many years. We knew we could do a really good job. Second, it was where we had heard a lot of different pain points and complaints from users that we were very passionate to solve. You know, this problem of one of my friends who got married before Zola started, I was going to her wedding the year that we started Zola and I was looking at her wedding registry and she was registered only for fine china and for silver. And the only thing that I could afford on her wedding registry was one silver spoon. And I was so upset. I remember calling her and asking, hey, what's the deal with your registry? And she said, oh, I couldn't even deal with it because it was so stressful and so overwhelming And I couldn't find anything that I really wanted. So I just let my mother do whatever she wanted. I don't even know what's on my registry. (laughs) And for me, that was such a shame because here's someone that I knew she was passionate about so many things. And yet none of that showed up on these gifts that people wanted to give her to set her on her way in her marriage. And so this idea 
that you could create a registry and also a wedding that really reflects who you are and what you and your partner are passionate about. That was something that we felt very motivated to solve. And that was another reason why we started with registry. It's hard as an entrepreneur, if you don't have any financial backing, to go ahead and make that leap because we still need to pay rent, we still need to eat food, and most of the people don't realize that. When did you reach a level, was there a certain number that you were looking at where you decided that, okay, I'm comfortable with this much in my bank account that I can now feel like I'm financially secure enough to take that risk with a startup? For me, and I think it depends, it's different for everyone. For me personally, it was once I had paid back my student debt, once I had actually gotten enough work experience where I thought to myself, if this startup doesn't work out, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? And I got to a point where the answer was the worst thing that could happen is that I would get another job as a product manager. And actually, I would be okay with that because I love being a product manager. And I think I would still be able to find employment. I would still be able to find a salary because of the work and the experience that I had built up. I would be able to do that. And so that was, that was my safety net. Do I think about what if I had taken the leap a bit earlier? I do sometimes think about that. And I think, I don't know if Zola would have been as successful as quickly because I think I would have, and we as a company might have made more mistakes along the way and it might actually have taken longer to get to where we are today. What I like is that many of the lessons you didn't learn by trying and failing with Zola. You learned it by watching what Guilt was doing, what Yahoo was doing. What were, looking back at those experiences there, what were some of those things that stood out to you as great moments that were inspiring but then also, on the other hand, what are some of the things that you saw that were like, you want to do the company differently? So the thing that I think was really part of Yahoo and Gilt's success in, and what it did well was the ability to attract great people. And at the end of the day, many companies just come down to the people in them. And the way that these companies did that was, first and foremost, it started with really strong people. But it also, in these companies, they were very aggressive at pursuing talent. So they weren't just sitting back and waiting for people to apply and say, oh, I hope great people send their resumes in. But it was rather being more proactive and looking at what are the companies that attract great people? And then how can we get in front of those particular people? And it was almost like a, a sales-like approach mm -hmm. to getting and pursuing the best possible people for each role. And so that lesson is something that, you know, I and we at Zola take to heart every day for many of our key roles. And many of the people on our team, you know, you'll find are people where we reached out to them. It wasn't necessarily that they were looking to your second question of what lessons did I learn that we want to do differently at Zola, it was really the lesson of how to continually innovate and push yourself into new areas. And I think the challenge of the innovator's dilemma is one that you see big successful companies fall into everywhere, every day. And it's very hard to avoid. Yeah. <laughs> but because I had seen this, you know, many times over, um, what we really tried to do at Zola is continually invest and launch in new things that we are hearing our couples want 
from Zola begging us to do. And I think our pace of new product releases is probably faster today than it was as an early stage startup. And that's almost unheard of, but it's because we all, I think, you know, on the kind of senior team at Zola are really focus on how can we make sure we continue to lead and we we are not followers. What was the plan for revenue? I know a lot of companies like don't think about the revenue first, yes. but whenever I'm looking at businesses, I'm like, you have to have a plan for revenue. What was Zola's plan? Yeah. And, you know, this is such a great question because when we started Zola, we saw before us many other wedding startups that had started and gotten a lot of users, but then had to shut down because they didn't have a way to stay in business, they didn't have any revenue or revenue model. And we really wanted to avoid that. And so we started with wedding registry as our first product, because it provided us with a way to stay in business in that, you know, people buy gifts. Um, it's an e-commerce business model. We make money the same way that any other retail or e-commerce site does. But then having that in place, it allowed us to then help couples with the entire wedding planning um, journey. And after the registry, it meant that we could then build a lot of different products and apps and services and give those away for free Mm -hmm. because we had a way to stay in business, which was the wedding registry. And so that start and that way into the larger wedding industry is something that I would recommend to for any entrepreneur to think about with any industry that they're looking at, which is, are there proven models in that industry that you could start with, but then expand and grow to serve more of those customer needs and potentially not have to charge for every single offering that you have because you have one solid way to stay in business. Yeah, that's so interesting. And can you just explain the e-commerce model for people who may not understand? Sure. Uh, so it's essentially a retail business. It's like Walmart or Target. The same way that they make money is that they and we buy things at wholesale price and then sell it at the same retail price as anyone else. And so you know that difference is really what the, the store keeps. And that's the way that any kind of retail business is able to pay you know, the people that work there, pay the rent, uh, pay for the technology. And yeah. so, Did you have inventory issues at all? So buying too much of a product that was not popular, you just have it sitting in a warehouse or? The lesson of inventory was actually one that we had learned the hard way from our time at Guilt, where you know, I saw it Guilt there was a lot of inventory that was inherent in that business model, which was a flash sales e-commerce business model. And so we really wanted to try to avoid that pitfall at Zola. And that's why when we started with the wedding registry product, we did so in a way that didn't require inventory. And the way that we do that is we built the technology that allowed when a couple wants a gift they're ready for the gift to be shipped to them. We then send the order to that particular warehouse and it ships directly from that warehouse to the couple. And in doing so, we were able to overcome a huge pitfall in having to have huge warehouses of inventory sitting there. And the other benefit of that is that we were able to also be less capital intensive as a business, which is is crucial for any startup. If you're listening, let me guess. You have a passcode on your phone. 
And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online? We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online and because of that, her identity was stolen and it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com slash Aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and Aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash Aura. And I'll also leave the link in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. So that's great. So you had the revenue model in place. And what was then the plan to acquire the customers? So weddings as a category is inherently word of mouth because on average, a couple will invite 150 people to their wedding. And so what we believed is that if we built the best possible product, because an average wedding has 150 people, guests, attendees going to it, they would see the product. They would then likely be getting married in the coming years and want to use it themselves. And that was actually the way that we ended up growing very early on. It was all through word of mouth, through people telling their friends. And then we did do a few small marketing experiments that helped accelerate that. At that time, wedding blogs were very popular. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we did one or two sponsored posts on wedding blogs. And we experimented with Pinterest. But really, and this is still the case today, Zola's growth was really fueled through organic word of mouth. And I'm a testament to that because I actually use Zola for my wedding. And I oh, wow. found out about it because I think one of my other friends had used it for their wedding, maybe like a year or two before me. And I was like, as I was planning my own wedding, I was like, wait, I think I remember Zola. And so that's why I went with Zola. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm yeah. so happy to hear that. <laughs> so was it successful right away? Did you find that you found the right product market fit? You know, I don't want to sound overly confident, but I actually you know, will tell you a secret. I knew it was successful before we even launched. I love that. <laughs> and I'll tell you how I knew that. And this is, is really a trick from my product management days, which is in the process of building the product to get it to launch, we would bring our prototypes, which are kind of the pre-launch product. And we would put it in front of couples who were planning their wedding and who were get, going to get married in the following year. And we would keep showing them different versions as it was updated. And what Nobu and I were waiting to hear was we were waiting to hear the magical words, which is, can I use this for my own wedding? Or when will this be ready? Or 
will you tell me if this is ready because I want to use it the second it's ready for my wedding in a year. And for a long time through this process, we weren't hearing those questions. And so we knew because we weren't hearing those questions, it wasn't there yet. It wasn't going to work. And then at some point, it just, it clicked. And we started to hear couples say, is this going to be ready? Can you please make this ready in time? I really want to use this. And to the point where I'll always remember there was one particular bride-to-be. She was looking through the registry that we had put in front of her and she started crying and like tears were rolling down her cheek. And I said, oh no, what's wrong? What did we do to make you cry? And she said, I just don't believe this. Can my registry actually look like this? Am I allowed to do this? Am I allowed to register for these things? She was so happy. And of course, I was like, yes. And in fact, (laughs) we have to run and build this straight away as quickly (laughs) as possible. And that was how we knew. I think the the point at which you can move someone to tears is so rare Mm -hmm. with any product that the second we had felt that magic, we knew and I knew it was going to work. And so from then, it was a matter of executing on that vision and on that dream that we had put in front of people. At that time, when you were ready to execute, who else was on the team? You you and Nobu, and who else had you hired at that point? I think it was really two other engineers at that point. Um, It was our CTO, Felix, who we had also worked with previously, and then one other engineer that we had been seeking out and convinced to join us. And and so that was the point at which we were like, okay, we have to build this as soon as possible. And by the way, we also in order to deliver this, have to find other great engineers to uh, build this as well as get all the merchandise, get the brands that we would we know people want to register for to agree to work with us, which was something that I worked on with one other merchandising person on the team. And then at some point we'll have to start shipping out gifts. And so we need an operations person to help figure that process out as well as take customer service calls. Uh, and, and that was the other person that we were really looking to hire. And in the end, we found a fantastic leader who we'd also previously worked with. And so it was the process of both building the product, the team, the merchandising assortment, all of these things we were (laughs) doing day and night, 24-7. Do you remember the first wedding that you were able to ship out the registry gifts for? Yes. Yeah, actually, I remember the first order that was placed. It was... Um, I think from a friend of someone on the team and it was a little tray. It was like a, it had like French words on it, but it was a, a very cute tray that you could put your keys on. And the, the moment we got that order, we all looked at each other and we're like, wait, what do we need to do now? How do we <laughs> ship out an order again? Uh, Kate, who was head of the operations team and went to her computer to like print out the print out the the packing slip it was much more um, manual in those days but we've seen we've since uh, become much more of a technology company I love that no I feel like you never forget your first sale like even to this day my first sale after I quit my law firm 
I started a legal company called Plug and Law, and my first sale was maybe $300 or $400. And I will never forget the joy that I felt when that happened. Like now it doesn't matter if I'm making $3,000. Like that $300 purchase was the best feeling of my life. And you can never re- replicate that first that first sale that goes out, right? <laughs> That's so true. And I still remember how it felt when we got the first couple that signed up for Zola that we didn't know personally. We're like, wait, wow, how did they hear about us? We want to know everything about them. But of course, you know, we, we couldn't um, go too far. But really, I don't even know their names, but I want to give them a big hug. <laughs> yeah. After you shipped out the first item, was it quite seamless from there? Were you able to figure things out quite quickly? No, I think the only thing more stressful than the last phase of building a product or a business that you've just been through is the current phase that you're in. (laughs) And actually, this is something that I, many founders and I will, you know, talk to each other about, which is, you think if I could just close this funding round or just get this deal or hire this person or get to 1 million customers, everything will get so much easier. But it never does. It It just gets harder because you have to climb the next hill. Now, that's not to say that where you've been isn't a great achievement, but you know, back to your question, the day we launched, that was the day we then realized we have so many things that we pushed back to be post-launch that we thought that's not 100% essential for launch, so we'll do it after. But it turns out that after list is really long, and all of a sudden we had to do that as quickly as possible because we had real people with real weddings that we could not let down. I know you had worked with your co-founder, Nova, before at the company. What was his skill set that you felt like would be most valuable to Zola? And then what was your skill set that you were really strong at? And how did you envision dividing that? Well, Nobu is just the most incredible design genius I've ever worked with. And that's why I wanted to work with him again. But what Nobu really focused on in the early days was designing the entire product, which is a huge amount of work. So he would really hear a lot of the feedback that we were getting from users and from couples, think about how can we innovate on the pain points and needs that we're hearing, deliver things that they didn't say, you know, explicitly they want this, but once they saw it, they couldn't imagine anything else. And then take that and work very closely with the engineering team to bring that to life. So that process of building and launching the product, it's a huge amount of work. It is the, you know, the most important thing um, we need to do to launch the product. And he was very focused on that. And then I was very focused on what are all the other things that need to happen? It turns out there's a lot of legal work at every step of the process. <laughs> I mentioned getting the products and the brand signed up for Zolin, negotiating those deals, signing those brands, hiring key team members, thinking about how are we going to market? What, is, what are all the different places that couples go that we could get in front of those couples? So if you think about every other function around apart from like building and launching the product, I was just, you know, juggling all those balls depending on the urgency and the priority. That's a lot. I know that Zola was quite revolutionary in bringing this all-in-one registry. Did you feel like you had the first mover's advantage? And then what were the fears that came along with that? When we launched our first product, which was the registry, at that time, the 
registry market was really dominated by the big traditional department stores. And so there was really no one else like Zola in our ability to register for everything you want from products, experiences, and cash all in one place to be able to customize and make it reflect who you are as a couple. You couldn't add your photos in those traditional registries and you couldn't also control what you wanted to receive and when you wanted to receive it. And that was one of the innovations that I'm really proud of that we invented. I think the thing that we had to overcome in those early years was a lot about brand recognition because we know that weddings are so important, not just for the couple, but also for their friends and their family in particular, that we knew and we heard people say, you know, I want to use Zola, but I'm a bit worried about if my grandmother will know or be able to understand how to use Zola. You know, will my mother know how her sister should RSVP on your site? So we have done a lot of work over the years in making things as easy as possible, even for those people who are not as tech savvy as, say, you know, the millennial Gen Z generation. And I think that has really stood out because we invested a lot in making the product simple as well as in customer support. If anyone has any questions, if grandmother or grandfather wants to call us, they can at any time. And that actually put a lot of people at ease because they knew, okay, I can create my wedding website on Zola. And if someone needs help figuring out how to RSVP to my wedding, they can just call someone and talk to someone live to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that customer support investment that we've made is one of the reasons why people say they love Zola and tell all their friends about us. I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free. We got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it, I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't gatekeep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to ericataughtme.com slash built. Erica is with a K and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's ericataughtme.com slash built. From that first couple that you remember signing up to now, how has Zola grown over the years? Well, I am proud to say that you know, as of today, we've now served over 2 million couples that have used us in some way. And so we started with one product, which was our wedding registry product. And through that, we heard couples very much from day one saying, I love Zola for my registry, but if I could just add a few more details about my wedding, I could make it my wedding website and then I'd be done. It'd all be there. And so 
It took us a few years to feel ready to launch the second product, but we did so you know, after four years. We launched our wedding website product and that was a hit almost immediately, day one. It was such an overwhelming success that we thought we have to do more faster. We have to launch more products that we're hearing our couples really want from us. And that's what led us to then think here, what are the next, what's the next most popular request? And what we heard was couples were saying, you know, I love my wedding website design. I've now got my guest list on Zola. If I could just print out a save the date or a wedding invitation with the same design as my wedding website and just print out all the addresses that you have through my contact list, you could just send it out and then I'd be done with my save the dates and invitations. And so we thought, okay, we should do that. So that's what led us to launch our invitations and paper business. That similarly has been a huge success. We have now thousands of different invitation designs that people can fully customize to make look and feel how they want to you know, present their wedding. And of course, that then led to many more requests where more recently, the biggest new launch that we've released is our local vendor discovery product. And what that is, is, you know, across the country, people can come and look at for venues or photographers or caterers or florists in the local market in which they want to get married and put down, you know, this is my budget. This is the kind, the style of photographer that I'm looking for. This is, these are the dates that I'm interested in. This is the general vibe that I would like to have with my photographer or with the venue and find a curated short list of recommendations from us. And so that vendor discovery tool now has over 30,000 local vendors that wow. we've onboarded and, you know, hand-selected for Zola couples. And, and so those are just some examples, but we continue to, to do more and more based on couple requests um, where you know, I talked about there's 20 different things that couples need and want to do to plan that one wedding day. And we want to be there for couples every single day along the way to their mm-hmm. big wedding. When you and Nobu are planning this out, I know, for example, Gilt's business model is very much, you're looking for the stickiness factor. You want return customers to come every month or every year to, so that it increases the lifetime value of the customer. The wedding industry is quite different in that you're hoping that people only have one wedding. So you only have one opportunity to really interact with them. And then it's a word of mouth business. Were you at all as you were planning the revenue model, thinking about how you can increase the lifetime value of the customer and what did you come up with for there? You know, it was, it's really based on this idea that if we serve the couple for one thing really well, we will then be given permission from that couple to serve them with more pieces of that wedding planning journey. And so that was a big reason why we expanded into all those new products that I just talked about. And if you think about the couple in the US on average today spends $35,000 on one wedding day, it's a big investment. And there's a lot of different things that a couple has to take into consideration in that budget. And we want to be there to help them spend whatever their budget is in the best possible way that reflects who they are as a couple and reflects the kind of wedding that they want to have. And so if we can do that, then we can really have a significant 
I hope your know, market share in the larger weddings market, which in the U.S. today it's a one hundred billion dollar market. Mm-hmm. So it's a big market. Frankly, I think the couples that are spending those dollars have been very underserved by, you know, tools and technology that aren't as good as what our couples deserve. And so we can do a much better job. And in doing so, we can have a great business. It is crazy to think that $35,000 is the average spent on a wedding, a one-day event. Yes. On my social media channels, I talk a lot about how to save money and how to essentially understand the system to let it work in your favor. You know the wedding industry better than most people in the world. What are some things that you've learned that could save the average consumer money? Like, can we come up with some hacks on how to save money for your wedding? A couple of things that we've actually been working on to help couples um, both understand their wedding budget and then make their dollars go further. So one of these things is we actually just launched a budget tool for for a wedding budget. And through that tool, we hope to help couples better think upfront about where are the areas that I want to spend more or less on with my limited budget? And pairing that with our expert advice articles on how to think about different parts of your wedding, help the couple really live this overall tip, which I recommend to all couples, which is think about what's important to you in your wedding. So if we break down the pieces, they include the cost of the venue, the photographer, the flowers, the cake, the favors, the invitations, and different couples care about different things. And so what's, I think, a crucial first step is what's important to you. So don't don't think about the wedding that your friend just had because that's what's important to them. Think about, you know, for me personally, I care very much about photography. I'm someone that loves to look at photos after an event very often. And for me, I would want to invest more in a photographer. But then that means I'm willing to take that out of my wedding favors budget. I personally don't, you know, don't care as much about favors as maybe my friend does. And so if you think about what are the things you care more or less about, and then apply that to your budget tool accordingly, you can look at where are the areas that you can flex up and down and then speak to your vendor team accordingly so that they know and they're willing to, to stay within that budget. Yeah, I remember doing the same thing for my own wedding. So one of the things is I had a budget and I stuck with it because a lot of times people will say, okay, my budget is $20,000, but then it creeps up to 30000 and then it creeps up to 40000 And then for me, I remember I did not care about flowers. So I think the on the main tables, I ended up having just one single rose on the, on the tables for the wedding, but I did care about live entertainment. So I spent more on the DJs and the entertainment for them. So it's all preference, right? Yeah, that's, and that's perfect. And you know, wh- what do you remember? You probably remember most the, the awesome music and, yeah. and that's what. And how lonely those flowers looked, the lone flowers, but I don't like spending so much money for flowers that are going to be there for one time. There you go. And <laughs> You know, I think that it's what makes you happy because ultimately at the end of the day, that's, that's the most important thing for your wedding. You've built this amazing business and I want to know from your perspective, what are the biggest things that you've learned about being a founder? I think the number one thing is I could not have done this 
without the people on my team. And you know, often I think when people think of companies, it's easier to think of individuals as the personality of the company. And it's, I, I certainly used to think a lot about that before starting my own company. But what I realized is really the company is a reflection of the effort of entire group of people. And it's only through hard work every single day, which is very unglamorous and often, you know, boring that you're just saying, okay, we just got to work really hard today and then do it again every single day this year. Um, that's the way that great companies are built. And so for me, what I try to think about is even in the hardest moments, how much more fulfilling and fun this is um, to do and how long I spent dreaming about the day that I would be able to do this. And when I think about this, I think, yeah, actually, it's really hard, but I've always wanted to do this and it was worth it. So that, that's one you know, reflection in that being a founder is often a lot of hard work, but also a mental game. The second thing that I you know, think about in terms of lessons learned is how do you stay focused on both continually innovating and growing and building a great product for your users, as well as pairing that with a great business? And these are two very separate things. Building a great product is continuing to listen to the evolving needs and you know, the world is moving so fast that what people need and want changes all the time. So you need to keep up with that. You need to keep ahead of your competitors and you need a team that can really have that innovator's mindset. Hand in hand with that is you need to be able to stay in business. And in markets like the ones that we're living in, you want to make sure that you are always spending less than what you think you need to be spending, as well as creating new revenue opportunities for yourself. Because if you don't do that, then you're actually going to be doing a disservice again to your users because you're not going to be able to stay in business and then, you know, where where will uh, customers be left? And so I think about those two things and often, you know, sometimes they're described as being intention, but I think of them as very complementary. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to ask, in March of 2020, when the pandemic first started hitting the U.S. and you saw all of these weddings being canceled, what was going through your head at the time? That was one of the darkest times in terms of not knowing, you know, we didn't know how long this pandemic would last. We didn't know how it would impact our couples. We didn't know how long couples would want to postpone their weddings for. And we thought about a couple of things. We thought about first, how do we secure the business to make sure that we will stay in business through whatever happens? The second thing we thought about was how do we serve couples during this you know, moment of need when a lot of people who were planning their weddings for 2020 were understandably so stressed out. What are we going to do? We have no idea as well what we're going to do about our wedding. And so we wanted to be there And we did a number of different things to support those couples, whether it was helping them know how to communicate to their friends and family. We launched a virtual Zoom weddings feature. We offered them the ability to print free change the date cards. Uh, And so all of these things together, I think, really made 
both the team and our couples feel like Zola was there for them. And I'm so glad that we did that because when, you know, ultimately weddings actually ended up coming back even faster than we expected, it meant that we were a brand that people really trusted because they knew that we had been there through very tough times for them. The other thing that we focused on during 2020 was reaching out to the wedding vendor community who we knew were also impacted by the pandemic because, again, all these weddings had been postponed that were meant to happen that year. And so a lot of, you know, the wedding vendor community are small businesses, you know, one or two people who are really impacted if, if you know, they have a couple of weddings postponed. And so we, that's when we really accelerated on our vendor discovery product where we offered the entire wedding vendor community could come onto Zola for free, reach couples that were looking to plan their weddings. And again, because we did that, I think we now have a very strong, um, not just couples community, but community of wedding vendors who are really, you know, on Zola because we are able to deliver them more business than they you know, had imagined before we launched that. When did you first start seeing the weddings come back again in full force? You know, what's interesting was we had thought weddings probably won't come back until there's a vaccine available. But actually what we were hearing from our couples, and certainly this change from state to state, was that some couples were done with postponing their wedding and they just really wanted to get married. And so some of them ended up planning their wedding for later in 2020, but they did it in different ways, whether they had certain COVID protocols or they had smaller numbers of people. Um, but we, we did start to see weddings come back in late 2020. And then 2021 was a huge year for weddings. And 2022 is even bigger. This yeah. is going to be the biggest year in many, many decades in terms of the number of people getting married in the U.S. Um, and certainly for Zola, we are having our biggest year ever. I want to take a few steps back to the money and the budgeting part that we we're talking about. So I think the budgeting tool that you mentioned was really good. What about just negotiating to get lower prices from all of these vendors? Is that something you have advice on? Yeah, so I have a, a couple of different things to know. So it's a common perception that weddings are expensive and certainly the average cost of a wedding is very significant compared to someone's income. And I think it's expensive because the cost of throwing a wedding, even for the vendors, is expensive. It often, it requires a lot of people, which is a lot of labor costs, as well as, you know, raw materials, whether it's the cost of eggs that go into a cake or the cost of photography equipment, all these things add up. And so in, in terms of tips for how can you think about um, making your dollar go further, one conversation you can have with different vendors is what are the different decision points that might make it easier for them to give you a different price. So for example, venues, of course, you know, the most popular day to get married is a Saturday mm -hmm. and then closely followed by a Friday. But one way that you could negotiate a better price is if you're willing to get married on a different day. And certainly many couples we see have weddings on different days because it, it is a, a different price. Another thing to think about is if you ask your vendors, is this time-based? Because if, for example, they are paying 
a team of photographers or a team of videographers to be there for a wedding, you can understand, oh, maybe if I narrow down the number of hours that I want someone there to be photographing or I narrow down the number of people that I need, knowing that maybe that's less photos, that is what then reduces the overall cost of, of what you're paying for. And so I think the different elements that go into the total cost are what if you can understand that for each vendor, you can really make your decisions based on, am I willing to have a base package, say base number of hours, and then get a lower price because of that, but then see, maybe there's one thing that I want a few extra hours for. Maybe I want the first look to be really important to me when it comes to photography, and so I'm willing to pay a little bit extra for that. And so it's it's there's a lot of different components, but it comes back to really just educating yourself on where the costs lie. Looking back at my own wedding, there are definitely some tough conversations you have to have around weddings. Like I remember one of the things was I didn't want to have kids at my wedding and who knew that would blow into like a big issue with my husband's side of the family. That's a a big call. It's so big. (laughs) Another thing is like, who is going to pay for the wedding? So for mine, it was from the very beginning, I wanted to pay for the wedding entirely on my own and I didn't want my parents to contribute. But those are all these, these conversations that you have to navigate around the weddings. What are some of these conversations that you hear these couples talking about that cause tension? <laughs> well, yeah, the, really the, one of the number one questions is who's going to pay for the wedding? And we actually find in surveys that we do at Zola that it overwhelmingly it's the couples that are paying for the wedding. Now, one set of conversations that I would definitely recommend people have is if different family members, say certain sets of parents are interested in contributing to some way, having an upfront conversation about which piece of the wedding might they want to be responsible for, whether it's say the rehearsal dinner or the day after the wedding brunch, and then having a conversation about what the budget might be for these things up front so that there's no surprises. But along with the conversation about who is going to contribute to which piece of the wedding, what should be paired with that is whose opinions do you want included in different pieces? So, for example, if someone's parents are going to pay for the rehearsal dinner, having a conversation up front about the level of involvement that both parties would like to have in that part of wedding planning, I think it saves a lot of angst later on. I don't know. How did, did yeah. you have that with your Oh, that family? is such a good one. Yes. I think that my, I'm quite rebellious, so I don't like being told what to do. And with the wedding, it was the same. Like I definitely did not want my mom having opinions. So my mom was pretty hands-off. She was just like, okay, you do what you want. The only thing that caused a little issue was the kids thing. But that's interesting. I feel like we, we should probably create a list of questions that couples should talk about first and agree on. Because one thing that was important even for my wedding was my husband and I had to have a united stance on how we felt about it. Because if we showed that we were divided, like on the kids thing, then that was not good. We had to be united about how we wanted our wedding to be and then spread that message to the in-laws and my parents, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think one of the key questions or discussions that every couple should have very early on is what is the division of labor between the two people in that couple in terms of how the the wedding is going to be planned? 
because you know when when I started Zola, I thought you know I hope that both people within a couple are you know sharing the responsibilities evenly. And what we've found over the last few years is that unfortunately it's still the women that do the vast majority of the wedding planning work which is a huge amount of work and often people are very surprised by the amount of work that it takes to to plan an event like this and so what I would love to see is couples having a conversation about here are all the things that we need to plan and here's how we can divide who is responsible for what now of course one person within the couple might have stronger opinions on how they want the wedding to look and feel and each element of it. And I think that should be a part of the conversation where, you know, maybe someone says, I want you to plan the rehearsal dinner, but I want you to check in with me on, on the flowers and the look and feel or whatever it is. And so like, like any working relationship, just having those expectations up front yeah. um, is going to make everyone's lives easier. What are you most excited for? First, Shan, personally, what are you most excited for in your life in the next five, 10 years? And then as a company, Zola, what are you most excited for? You know, well, when you have your own startup or, you know, co-founder of a company, often it becomes the majority of your life. And that's certainly been the case with me. So it's very hard to separate uh, personal and professional. But on the personal side, you know, I have a one-year-old. She is the best and just uh, I love spending every day with her um, and watching her grow. And on the professional side, it's very similar in that I just have the best time working with my team on growing Zola. You know, we are very focused on the things that I just mentioned, which is how can we launch more cities to help more couples find more vendors to plan their weddings and being a part of every single day in a couple's wedding planning journey. And then how can we continue to innovate in how couples are thinking about their lives together today, which is whether it's from engagement through to their wedding day or beyond their wedding day and all the decisions that come after that, whether it's financial decisions together or how do they want to create their home together? I think these are things that Zola can earn uh, way into serving couples through these important life moments if we do a good job in helping couples with their wedding. And so that's what I'm excited about because this is really a life stage that has been underserved for a very long time. And we think that you know, couples today just deserve a lot better. And I have to ask, there was a recent announcement I saw that you just appointed a co-CEO to the company. That's a very unusual move. Can you talk a little about that? Yeah. And, you know, I am so excited by it because I think it's rare to find female CEOs, but it's even more rare to see two female co-CEOs. So Rachel, who is my co-CEO, she is someone that I learned a great deal from when we were working together at Guilt. She taught me how to run a business there. And then when I started Zola a few years in, when we really needed another brilliant business mind to help us scale, she joined as president and COO. And we have been working together for the past six years, really as partners running the business, running the company. And it got to a point where, you know, I thought we really are working as co-CEOs. 
So the right thing to do is to, <laughs> is to call it that. And it is one of those things that like any partnership, communicating about how do we work together and how do we divide responsibilities and then making that clear to everyone else in the company is what makes or breaks the partnership, no matter what the title is. I love that. And we have a little closing tradition. So the podcast is called Erica Taught Me, but really today is all about Shan Taught Me. So what do you want people listening to this podcast to be able to walk away saying, Shan taught me this? Anyone that works on the Zola team knows that I like to talk about this question of what does great look like? What does great look like in a certain function, a discipline, a project, a product? How, what are all the elements that make something great? And so what I hope anyone that, that comes across and you know, has a conversation with me is that they can take that question into their own lives, that they can look at something and think, is that great? And if so, what makes it great? And carry those learnings into then whatever they want to do in their lives that they want to make great themselves. I love that. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. If you enjoyed the episode, please make sure to follow the podcast wherever you're listening and help us out by leaving a review. Thank you for spending your time with me today. And I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.